This is Shifting Our Schools episode 46, Teaching a Media First Generation. Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. Thank you, as always, for listening. I hope you enjoyed or are enjoying or, like me, about ready to enjoy your spring break. Uh, That sign that the end of the school year is near, the little break we get uh, every year. Uh, My wife and I are actually headed down to the Oregon coast for a few days uh, to spend some time on the beach and then... Of course, some wine tasting in in Oregon, one of our favorite things to do, pastimes to do, wine tasting here in the Northwest, Uh, before heading to Burns, Oregon uh, for a conference that I'm doing on Friday where I'll be keynoting and running a session in Burns, Oregon. And that's really what I wanted to talk about today is I've been rattling around in my brain this um, keynote that I have to give. And so I thought I'd just kind of talk off the top of my head here and see... um, see how this goes and, and just let you uh, kind of maybe talk out loud of what I'm thinking, uh, where it's at and get some feedback from you. Of course, that's one of the things I like about podcasting is I can get some feedback from listeners um, on what I'm doing. So uh, what I'll be talking about actually is the keynote that I've been doing for the last year. And the keynote's title is The New Normalcy. And I really like that title. I've got this screenshot of um, how fast data is changing that I start with. But the new normalcy to me has been something that I've been kind of evolving. So even though I use the same title for a keynote, when I find a title I like, I'll use it. But the keynotes are never the same. They're constantly evolving based on new things that are coming out there or things that I'm talking about. And um, it's been fascinating these last couple of weeks. I feel like there's been a some really interesting data that's come out and it's really got me thinking differently about how I'm going to approach this and even just approaching workshops with this generation in the future. I think one of the things for me is I've been fascinated with understanding generations and trying to understand generations that we teach. I think it's so important for us to step back as educators and to think about what do generations have in common and how are the generations in our classrooms different than the way we grew up. It's something that I constantly am thinking about. You know, I grew up mostly in the 80s. The internet uh, didn't come out until I was literally in high school. I learned to type on a typewriter, not a computer, or I spent half my time on a computer, half my time on a typewriter. You know, my parents had a Mac Classic, if you remember um, the Mac Classic. I played on an Atari 2600, went and watched uh, Ready Player One last night. I love that book, and, and part of it is the it's made for us, right? A Generation X. That's what that movies made for us, for us to remember that time period. And and the thing I love about generations is that they're, they're different. And, and my time period growing up is not the same as the kids today. And I think we have to remember that my education shouldn't be the same as these kids today. They've been raised differently. They've had different, uh, access to different things. Um, we've had different parenting strategies, even on the parenting side, just not on the educational side of things that have happened. And I got into this, I think the first book that I read, and I'll put all this stuff in the show notes. So you should be able to find it on your uh, phone in the show notes, or I guess over at sospodcast.org, uh, in the episode notes as well, where again, you can leave us a comment or questions there. But the first book, um, that I really, 
uh, read that really resonated with me, and this was uh, back in 2007, 2008, I think, was the book Millennials Rising, The Next Great Generation. And it was that book that really started me thinking about we how we have to think differently about each generation in our classroom. And the generation that I had the honor to teach, when I was teaching, come to find out, I didn't know it at the time, they were called millennials, but that's the generation that I taught in the classroom. Those were my kids and they were raised differently. You know, they had a fourth grade teacher who had gotten this grant that got them seven computers in their classroom. And I think about that. Like I didn't have seven computers in my fourth grade classroom when I was in fourth grade, yet I was able to give that experience to my students. We were doing mock stock exchanges as fourth graders. We had access to things in fourth grade as a teacher that no, no way did I have access to those things as a fourth grade student. And so I think we have to stop and think about how this, how these generations truly can be affected by a the things around them. And that's what I want to talk about today. It's something that I'm really kind of, of course, passionate about, but, um, I, I want to talk about the next generation is what we've seen is that there's a new generation and there are two articles and one piece of research that I want to talk about that has me thinking how we need to approach this generation differently. The first article was released by the Pew Research Group, a group I follow and love all that they do in research and technology in our lives and society today. And it's pewresearch.org, and I'll make sure I put the links in, but pewresearch.org. On March 1st of this year, 2018, they released an article discussing where they are drawing the line between the millennial generation and the post-millennial generation. And the post-millennial generation doesn't have a name yet. Just like the millennials decided what they were going to be called, I truly believe the post-millennial generation will one day tell us what name they believe suits them. The year they've decided to draw that is 1996. So if you were born between 1980 and 1996, you are considered a millennial, or those are the students that we, that we taught that were millennials. For kids that were born after 1996, so starting in 1997 and beyond, those are students of this next generation. The oldest of them is 21. The youngest of them is just being born. And they are a different generation. And in this article, there are a couple things that they point out. And I think they are things that we need to think about when we think about the kids that are in our classrooms on a daily basis and why this is a different generation. First of all, they were raised differently. They were raised in a time period when They've always been at war. Terrorism has always been on the forefront of their minds. Terrorism has been mentioned on the nightly news. They will never remember going to a gate at an airport and actually meeting somebody off the plane. They've always had to take their shoes off to go through security. Some of them have always had metal detectors at their schools, or they've always had a school resource officer walking the halls. And that's different that I, that when I read the article and I read some of the research, that was probably the number one thing that I hadn't stopped to reflect on is that this generation, the generation in our schools today does not know a time of peace. And that's what makes them more like the boomers than they were like myself or the millennials. I'm a generation X. And I th- that 
that's different. (laughs) And I think we have to accept that they were raised in a different time period. They viewed technology differently. The article talks about how the way that they view cell phones and the way they view the internet, they do not see the internet as a separate technology from devices because every device you buy today has the internet built in. Therefore, the internet is the device and the device is the internet. And that is a different way of looking at technology. They are constantly connected because we are constantly connected. They don't remember a time period of not being connected. Other research we're going to talk about later shows us that the average child touches a connected device in America, and I would even say globally, at around age two. And what is that doing to their brain functionality? What is that doing for rewiring the brain and the research that is starting to come out around the rewiring of the brain of this generation? And don't mistake in this that this is new to this generation. Every generation's brain has been influenced by the technology and resources available to it. This generation learns differently. That's the part I want to dig in here to here a little bit is this learn different part. But they learn in ways that are way more visual, way more video-oriented. They expect movement. You know, we if you've seen the research that's come out recently, if you haven't, it's worth digging into, but there's research out there debunking this idea of learning styles, right? Like we we grew up believing that, oh, well, this child is is auditory and that child is visual and this this child is kinesthetic. And the new research out around this, and go look this up for yourself, is that no, we are all visual learners. We all rely on vision first, and then we have tendencies that move towards auditory or we have tendencies that move towards kinesthetic, but we are all, all types of learning styles. This generation views relationships differently. I have two millennial friends who have now in long-term relationships, one of them is getting married, who met on Tinder, a dating app. I have some other friends who uh, met on Match.com. And I think we have to think differently about relationships. My generation still has a hard time, I think, even growing up in tech and having phones when I was a teenager. I mean, I remember being in chat rooms, meeting girls in college uh, and thinking how cool that was. And yet I still went to school with girls and met my wife uh, in the physical world at university. And there's so many relationships now that are starting not that way. And Not that I think there's a right way or a wrong way, but I think it's different. And I think we have to be okay with understanding that it's different. We don't have to, I say this a lot in my talks, you don't have to like it, you don't have to know it, but at some point we need to respect it. And I think part of understanding how they see relationships because of the connections they have through technology is something that we have to get to that we respect. The second article that kind of leads into this was it comes out from the New York Times and it was written in January of this year, January of 2018. And it was an interview with a bunch of post-millennial generationers. And it's a fascinating read. I'll make sure I link it in here. If you want to go and just read in depthly. And of course the hard part is, you know, is this post-millennial generation, the oldest of them is 21 and the youngest of them is one. And 
So I don't even know if they know who they are yet, which excites me. I don't know if they know who they are as a generation yet, but I think there are some things that have, that have come out. And again, in this article, a couple things um, that came out, the kids mentioned that they've always been at war, that they have always been connected, that they are the most diverse generation in America and they are the most diverse generation globally. They are one of the largest generations globally on the planet. Between them and the millennials, they're going to make up almost 50% of the world's population in a few years. And you start thinking about those are two new generations that have a different outlook on the world. According to the, the students that they interviewed in the New York Times, they believe they can change the world. And I think we're seeing that played out in a lot of places globally right now. And the last one, and I think it's something for us to think about, is they don't trust adults to do the right thing. That one, I think, hits home. I think that one, that one shocks me. Does it shock me? I guess shock's the wrong word. It doesn't shock me. It doesn't shock me. I think every generation has this built in. You know, every generation looks at the generation before them, I think, and says, we can do it better uh, than you. We don't trust you to get stuff done. But the way these kids in this New York Times article talk about how the adults around them on uh, from local to global, um, they don't feel are doing the right thing. And then you go back to the other one where they believe they can change the world. I think we have a change coming with this generation. I really do. The last piece is research that has come out from Common Sense Media and a census that they just released on the amount of media children between zero and eight years of old are exposed to. And here are a couple things from that census that they just released that stuck out to me. First of all, kids watch three times more television than read books. Kids between the ages of zero and eight watch three times more television than they read books. Kids watch TV first. TV is still the number one way that they are uh, absorbing media. And the second most is YouTube. Zero to eight years old. These are only kids zero to eight, right? The last one is students of this generation or kids of this generation, these kids from ages zero to eight, are exposed to three times more media than my generation, and I'm a generation Xer. Now, I want to think about that. That one is the one that I think really spoke to me. My generation is the television generation. We were the generation that was raised on family ties and the Cosbys. We were the generation that TV was supposed to meet, melt our brains. We're the generation, we were also the latchkey generation. Some of you out there might remember being a latchkey kid with Latchkey kids got their name because they wore a key around uh, their neck as a chain. And we were the first generation that, uh, for many of us, both of our parents worked. And so we went home by ourselves and we had to let ourselves in at home. And so the term that was given to those kids were latchkey kids. Um, And that was our generation. We watched a lot of television and it was supposed to ruin our brains. And now we're facing a generation in our schools and in our classrooms that is exposed to three times more media than we were. So how do we teach a media first generation, a generation that has always had YouTube, been using Instagram as their first social network and Instagram is photos first and whose stars are as much on the internet as they are on television. If we want to engage this generation, whether we like it or not, 
is going to have to include media. Their brains are different. If you wonder why they won't pay attention to a PowerPoint full of words, because they have something more interesting to look at in their phones, that's why. If we are going to continue to take our Word documents, turn them into PDFs, and then thinking that putting kids on a computer and engaging them in a Word document through Google Classroom or Canvas or Blackboard is going to hold their attention, we have to think differently. If we want to engage this generation, we need to think that media is the way they learn. Media is the way they communicate. Now I want to engage with I want them to engage with text. I want this generation to engage with text. But they aren't going to do it on their own. They aren't going to choose text over images or choose text over video. The only way we're going to get them to engage in text is if we can somehow stimulate the brain in a media way and then bring them into a text-based world. I want them to be in a text-based world. Please do not get me wrong on that. But to think that we're just going to give kids books and they're going to dig in when they can go watch the movie trailer is going to be a really hard sell for many of them. We all got to watch the video if we were really good and finished the book. We might have to flip that with this generation. We might have to think and ask ourselves, how am I engaging the media first brain to get them interested in a text-based project? Are we allowing them to create videos? Are we allowing them to use this media first brain in a way to show their learning other than text? Because here's the thing, the internet is more media than it is text. And that is not a trend that is going to change. Their future is more media than text. Text was our future. Text is how we were raised. And again, I want them to be with some tech. I want them to love a book. And many of them still do love books. And that's, I'm not saying that we have to completely throw out the idea of the love of books and the love of reading. Please don't think I'm saying that. But unless you're truly trying to get kids passionate about a book that they want to read, it might not be the right median to engage them. We might have to stop and think that it might not be addiction It might just be that the way they learn and the way their brains are wired are media first. How are we going to change our behaviors to engage a media first brain? One of the first things I talk about with teachers is I hear from teachers all the time about social media, the biggest problem, right? From educators all the time, they complain about this generation. And when they complain about this generation, the number one complaint I get is how they are always on their phones and that they are addicted to social media. And I, we can have another podcast about the difference between addiction and highly motivated. And I think there's a a great distinction between being actually addicted to something and highly motivated to something. And I'm not saying there aren't kids that are truly addicted. I'm not saying that. But I think what we see the majority of the time are kids who are highly engaged and engaged for long periods of time. And we think of that as addiction. And 
I think one of the things we have to think about is why are they in social media? Their social media are all Snapchat is about images and video. Instagram about images and video. YouTube all about video. They're not in Facebook. Facebook is where we write our text updates and we share images. That's not where they're at. That's not how they communicate. They don't communicate even in text in a text message. They communicate in emojis, images. They communicate in audio files like they use Vox and they send each other audio messages. They don't write. And if they do write, it's less than 140 characters. It's in text write or it's in emails. The way we actually write today. When you stop and think about how you actually write in the real world yourself, How many emails are you writing in a day versus five paragraph letters? And you're looking at a generation and trying to say, you're going to need to know how to write a paper and they will need to know how to write a paper. However, they can also talk that paper into a Google doc. They can talk that paper and the machine will write it for them. Understanding how to get ideas out regardless of the median is what I want this generation to do. I want them to understand there is more than just text as a way of communicating. And how do we help them with that? Why do we keep trying to force them into a text-based world? Because that's what we know. Oh, well, this is how my teacher taught it. So this is how I'm going to teach it to my kids. Versus thinking about how we can do things differently. If you're in a one-to-one school and you've given students a device, these devices were made to create, to create amazing stuff. And it's not text. There there are podcasts and videos and gorgeous images. That's what we want kids to create. Yes, they need to write a paper and I want them to write a paper, but do they need to write seven papers as a senior? Do they need to write five papers as an 11th grader? Do they need to write seven research projects between third and fifth grade? Or can one of those be a video? Can you start a podcast channel? How are you going to bring this idea of a media first generation into your classroom and engage kids in a way that their brain accepts learning. What are your thoughts on this idea of teaching a media first generation? Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? What are your, what are you finding that works with this post millennial, super amazing, incredible generation of kids? I'd love to hear from you. I'm hoping that you can head on over and leave a comment on this post over at sospodcast.org. Or as always, I'd love to hear you on our Flipgrid. That's sospodcast.org slash questions and leave us a Flipgrid response. I'm off to go and share this with teachers in Burns, Oregon. Thank you for letting me talk this out loud to you. And until next time, we'll see you on the network. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.